Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Liz Phillips, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Liz, should you describe or should I describe how we know each other? Oh, I always love your descriptions more. So. <laughs> All right, yeah, you, and I, you, you and I worked together in Atlanta. Yeah. From, when did <laughs> you come you to Atlanta? 2015, 16? 2015. 2015, and then I uh, hightailed it out of there in 2019. Yes. Yes. But we, we, uh, we probably saw each other every day, almost every day that I was down there Monday through Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Once I became, you know, part of the, the team after a while, you, you know, everyone embraced me. So with you all for those years, how long did it take for you to feel embraced Liz? Um, well, maybe close to a year. That's awful. Shame on me and everybody around me. It should have taken like <laughs> <It really> two weeks. <laughs> All right, Liz, here Certain we go. People embrace me faster, so. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it shouldn't take a year. That's crazy. Um, but we made up for lost time after that year. That's right. That's yeah. right. All right, so what part of the world were you born in, Liz? Uh, little old South Bend, Indiana. What is South Bend, Indiana known for uh, besides the super obvious? Let's see. Um, Amish country. Is that really? There? Mm-hmm. Up, yeah. Like within a 30 minute radius, there are Amish populations of um, Amish um, people living everywhere in the area. Yeah. A lot of Amish in Pennsylvania. They're a lot. They're actually more in Ohio. I didn't realize they were in Indiana as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Napanee area. Um Lots of area, like 30 minutes west, a uh, lot of uh, Amish country is what they call it. Did, uh, obviously, the obvious one is Notre Dame. Yeah, the obvious is Notre Dame. Uh, so was Notre Dame basically South Bend or was there more to South Bend than, than the school? You know, I think that pe- it's to me, it's still Notre Dame is still mostly makes up South Bend. But there's a lot of. Uh, you know, interesting and cool other historical things that, you know, I probably don't find as, or don't appreciate as much as others who have family history there. So uh, Studebaker is, that's where Studebaker was, was made. And so there's a Studebaker car museum and I have, you know, relatives that uh, worked there years and years ago. And so, um, you know, that's an interesting but uh, not super relevant. <laughs> no, it's fine. To today's whatever, world. <laughs> hey, whatever, yeah, well, not yeah, certainly not relevant these days. The last time a Studebaker was manufactured was 45, 50 years ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Been a long time. Yeah, been a long time. So I'm trying to think if there's anything super unique, um, you know, that it's known for. I just know that I have uh, a lot of my family sort of. Um, arrived and settled there, if you will, <laughs> a couple of generations. And so um, not sure how South Bend uh, came to be the, the landing spot. Yeah, but you're, you're uh, what, third generation from that part of the, the world? Mm-hmm. What, what did your so, answer well, well, <laughs> I'm a little bit a uh, mixture of everything. 
uh, I got a melting pot, even though my last name is Phillips. Um, <laughs> my, I have uh, my grandparents on my mother's side were, um, one was uh, Ukrainian, the other Hungarian. On my dad's side, they were English and French. And um, uh, my, and my grandmother on my dad's side was German. So there's <laughs> some interesting um, nationalities there. And then on my, I'm a product of divorce. And so I've had, you know, I had multiple parents and multiple grandparents, but on my stepmother's side of the family, that's the real, you know, interesting and uh, pretty exciting part of the family. They're Polish and Serbian. And so that's, uh, so I got the, the European influence all over the place. You, you, you're touching most of the continent. Yeah. Yeah. Pol Polish and Serbian, what, what, what makes them, uh, did you use the word exciting? Yes, it's a very <laughs> exciting combination of nationalities. They're fiery and crazy and um, loving. You know, it's just a whole, it's, it's just a, a lot of energy. A lot of energy. Sort of like I would imagine Italian, an Italian family or a Greek big, you know, family. Uh, if you picture my big fat Greek wedding, that's, that's sort of how I grew up. I described uh, part of your family as like my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be accurate. <laughs> and and uh, it, it's a lot of, a uh, lot of people trying to be heard. And so people tend to be louder, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm married to yes. an Italian and, and they're all very loud. And I'm like, they're only, it's only you and me in the room. Why are you so loud? Nobody, nobody's well, going to you know, your, your point is always going to be the most important uh, one that you, that people need to hear. And so you have to fight uh, for, to get it out and for people to hear you. And if it's not the first or sixth time that you, you were able to get it out, then you just have to be louder than the other ones. <laughs> and just keep going until everybody stops talking. No one's going to stop talking and listen. Yes. At some point. So what, what's the average, when, when everybody gets together from that part of the family, what's the average number of people talking at the same time? Typically. Oh, easily. Um, 20 people at the same time talking. Well, well, no, no, it and, is, and all, hold on, hold on. Are all 20 trying to get the, the attention of the entire place or are they just inside conversations kind of thing? There's a lot of, there's always a, it's like, you know, purple squirrel. There are, you know, you're in one conversation and you are in, within earshot of somebody else said that said something that's not true. Or that's, you know, you know, you have, you are right about. And so you're like, all of a sudden, you know, in that conversation while the other person's still talking to you and, you know, then there's got somebody that's loud and drunk and saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, kind of thing. So, <laughs> so yeah, the funny thing is memories, Rob and I uh, were joking about this the other day and I should let the listening audience know that Rob, silent Rob is listening tonight. Uh <laughs> He said, I don't remember anything from our childhood because we were talking about growing up uh, in small town, Virginia. And I said, I remember a bunch, but I'm pretty sure most of it's inaccurate. So I, <laughs> I think that's what happens when you get older, right? And, and then if you're adamant that my memory is accurate, you're going to stand by it. And everybody else is like, that's absolutely not what happened. Right, right. Yeah. That that could be true, too. Our memories are not, but you wouldn't know it by talking to the family. <laughs> right, because whatever is coming out of anybody's mouth is absolutely accurate to that person. That's right. <laughs> All right so what are your memories of being a, a kid in South Bend? Um, you know, swimming in the pool, playing wiffle ball in the street. My dad used to 
uh, you know, we've always had a lot of us in the family, so there's always enough to make a team for something, <laughs> you know, and so um, gr growing up as a kid there, all my cousins were always over. We were always together. So we, there, there's, you know, 26 of us, I think, like in the, in the, my gen generation cousins. Now, a lot of them are young, way younger, but they're still cousins because they're, you know, kids of my aunts and uncles. But, um, you know, we all have kids, you know, most of us now too. So it's kind of the same for our own children. But we grew up just in the, spending all the summers in the pool and up at the lake and, um, you know, just doing stuff together and always having fun. We had no idea that, you know, we were poor, but we had so much fun. <laughs> so just spending time together, it's, it was always loud and fun. And um, you were always with somebody that was a family member. So uh, what did you do in the winter? So I'm trying to, so we did a lot of sledding. Now I, again, a product of a divorce. So I did a lot of skiing. Uh, my stepfather and my mom, my biological mother, uh, were skiers. And so we did a lot of winter types, you know, outside sports like that. But um, then I think I loved winter back then. I loved the cold. You know, Not as so you grow up more. and have to like shovel it and drive to work in it and all those things. It's so it's so much less, um, you know, fun and exciting. Yeah, as you get older, you have responsibilities and the, those uh, winter related activities aren't always fun. That's right. <laughs> when you're a kid, you can go sledding all day. Oh, yeah. We used to have those um, super cheap roll up, you know, plastic sleds that the second you, you know, fell off or stood up, the thing rolled back up and hit you in the face that plastic like. It had a very good sound too. I can't replicate it, but yeah, it definitely had a sound that you won't won't forget. <laughs> Right. But they were really lightweight, so you could carry them, you know, trudge them right back up the hill. That was super long. You know, I remember, you know, building a lot of snow forts in the winter. <laughs> they, they were slick, they were cheap, and they were just thick enough to prevent, like, real damage to your skin. Right. <laughs> but if, if you slid off and it went down the hill, you're <laughs> in trouble. Well, if there was a stiff breeze that day, you might lose the thing. That's right. <laughs> So out of 26, do you know what number you are in terms of age? So I'm the oldest. Really? Uh, yeah. So, you know. Hey, Liz, you're you're what? 28, 29? Sure. Yes. <laughs> Times two? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> no. I did, 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 doing a quick math. I, you know, never been good at quick math. Um, yeah, I'm the oldest. I have a, a cousin that's just a year and she likes to point out to everyone that she's a year younger. Um, and then we, it goes down from there. How, so, how old is the youngest? I think in on the, my cousins, the youngest is 22 maybe. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a good spread, but not as crazy as it could have been. That's right. Yeah. And that's, and it's I'm the oldest of five on the siblings. So how old are you when your parents divorced? Uh, three, I think. Oh, you were, yeah, you don't, you barely remember that, right? Yeah, no, right. I barely remember it. I just remember, um, so I think I was three or four. And then when I was five, I remember being introduced to my stepmom who already had, um, a daughter. So she's, we're two years apart. And so that's, 
Like I have vivid memories that I can actually visualize and remember uh, meeting in the winter. And they used to, she, how we met and like they introduced us was we were able to decorate her uh, bay like window in the living room with that. Um, do you ever remember the spray on like snow? Like mm -hmm. you can decorate the window. I don't even know if this stuff ever came off, but you know, I remember we had so much fun trying to draw a snowman on the window with it. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm pretty sure we had that in my house too. And yeah, it's, uh, why, why not? That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. But that's my sort of so, earlier memory. So you, you're the only child of your biological parents. Yes. I'm the only child of my biological parents. But, but and then you I, all pretty quickly ended up with lots of, lots of, uh, steps, siblings and first cousins that you didn't feel like you were an only kid. It sounds like. Right. And then both, both sets of parents, um, had another child. Well, they're my, my dad, they had two more. Um, so I have half sisters as well. All right. Or we have, you know, one of the parents is the same. All right. What's the difference between a step and a half? A step is that it's like married in, you know, like my stepmother already had uh, her daughter. And so we don't have the same, there's, we don't share the same mom or dad, but a half sibling is where you share either the same mom or, you know, the same dad. That's, it it would have taken me 10 times longer to explain that than you just did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're, you're 10 years old. You're in uh, South Bend. You can do anything you want. Your parents aren't telling you what to do. Uh, you're not in school. You're not in some scheduled activity. What are you doing? Probably sneaking a package of Oreos somewhere and like trying to watch the TV. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV. So if I think back to that age, I was probably sneaking a snack and because <laughs> we weren't allowed to have a lot of sweets and plus not having, you know, a ton of money. Um as you know, my parents didn't have like all the junk food. You had to ration it out. <laughs> so that's probably super boring. But if I think back to that age, I was probably, sne I would sneak a snack and watch a whatever, one of the seven channels we must have had <laughs> on TV. What, what, what decade are we talking about? Well, uh, the early 80s. Okay. The early 80s. So when I ask you, you're 10 years old, what, what are you doing with your time? You're sneaking time with the TV. MTV probably. Was that the year MTV came in the early 80s? Yeah. MTV was probably yeah, around 82, 83, maybe. Something like no, no. The MTV came out in 7980. Yeah, so oh, it was around okay. that time they were they were so pretty. That probably would be true. I was obsessed with MTV. I just I was obsessed with the just the music and the videos and everything it had to offer back then. Yeah, MTV hasn't shown a video in like 25 years. That's what I hear. I don't I, I cut the, the tie with cable, so I don't I don't know. I don't have MTV now. So you're what, Netflix, Hulu, that kind of thing? Yeah, I'm all we're all streaming. When I moved to Atlanta in twenty fifteen, I decided to, you know, uh, see if I could cut the cord with cable. And I was you know, dangerously doing that because I had a, a, a six year old who was uh, you know, addicted to her shows on Nickelodeon and Disney Channel and or whatever it was at the time. But I thought, well, I'm sure one of these streaming services, and it was Netflix um, and, and then Amazon, will have, you know, most of the shows that we want. And it turned out it was, you know, smart decision. Yeah, more so than I have all the I have all the streaming, you know, things. So if you can't find a show on one streaming channel that you want to watch, 
it's going to be playing on the other one. <laughs> my, my crack research staff is, is informing me that MTV started in August of 81. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, we're, a, we're, I'm a baby. We were there. I'm a we were all 72, over. I'm a 1972. So, it would have been yeah. about 10 years old, 82. Yeah, we're all over it. All right, so uh, you, you had a, a, a normal, enjoyable childhood. Um, any, yeah, anything unique so. about your childhood? Unique and positive. Um, my mom and stepdad were dancers hmm. uh, for Fred Astaire. They were ballroom dancers, and so wait, I. Wait, 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 wait. Do you mean the person Fred Astaire or like the company Fred Astaire? Well, it, like like the company, the dance company Fred Astaire. That was a Fred Astaire dance studio. They ballroom dance. You're saying that like I know what you're talking about, Liz. (laughs) Fred Astaire was a ballroom dancer (laughs) and lots of dances, you know, it it was on TV and movies. I don't remember which ones, but um, they they were like the managers at the Fred Astaire dance studio, local dance studio. And this was by then I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, about two and a half hours north of um, South Bend which is when I, I mostly lived with my, my mom and stepdad. Anyway, they were dance instructors and dancers themselves and competed um, with a lot of the members of the dance studio and mm. competed all over the country in ballroom dancing. And so I, that was where, that was sort of where I spent my afternoons. That was, uh, I learned all the dancing and I eventually had a, a child partner, which was my babysitter's younger brother. So he was older than me still, but he became, I don't know how they talked him into it, but he was my dance partner, learned all the dances. We did lifts and we were the only uh, child mascots for Fred Astaire at that time and also competed. When Did you say child mascot? Yeah, child mascot for the dance studio. There weren't a lot of children doing ballroom dancing. Got it. All right, and you were traveling too with your parent, your mom. Yeah, and- which uh, wherever the you know, I I don't think we went super far, but regionally probably is uh, where we did the dance. And I did, you know, I'm sure I was the biggest nerd back then because I we did like dance. My partner and I, my babysitter's younger brother, and I did for things like talent shows and stuff at school. We did dance routines. And are you a million are you a fan of friends? Of me. Hmm? Are you a fan of the show Friends? Yes. You remember when uh, Ross and Monica tried out for the two years? <laughs> was it kind of like that? Except for better. I actually did lifts in the air. Like he lifted me and I was, you know, like you would see if you've yeah. ever watched a ballroom dance. <laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was fun. You enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I've, I've always been around music and dancing. And I took, as a kid, I took every sort of dance. So I took tap, um, jazz, ballet. My mom and I took ballet together, um, you know, and she was my instructor for a lot of the other dances. So that was a big deal. I did recitals and all of that. So that was uh, a lot of fun. It's a good thing it was a lot of fun because it sounds like you didn't have much choice. Yeah, you're going it there. took a lot of my time up, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. So <laughs> Yeah, no, that's awesome. When did you stop doing that? Or, or do you still dance today? Oh, I wish I did. I, it's a lot of fun, but I just, I guess I'm stuck as a, a teenager. You know, my mom became ill. And so there was a lot of uh, new responsibility as a, as a teenager that I had to take on. And so I probably was done around 12 or, or 13. Just because you had to be an adult. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Can Can you talk to us about what that sure. was like? Yeah, and so my my mom and stepdad had a baby when I was had my sister when I was twelve, and I would say, you know, I had to, I remember having to give up my room and like be in the you know most kids now you know like oh you want to put me in the basement yes I'll take a room in the basement, but you know back then basements were creepy and dark and the laundry was down there nobody wanted to be in the basement they weren't finished like they are today right. <laughs> you know i think you're probably sitting in your basement aren't you i am you have a, a man cave or a nice basement or something that you're <laughs> i have a man cave and just for i haven't said this in a long time on this podcast i also have a urinal in my basement oh gosh that's amazing yeah there was no uh none of that it was like you know i was still scared to be down in the basement you know at night by myself so i had to be uh, shoved down there and we made a, made the best of what was a quasi room. And so I had, uh, I learned to love, you know, having my own space at some point, but my sister was, let's say we're 12 years apart. So then I became, uh, the automatic babysitter. And so you can probably imagine that, you know, I harbored some resentment as a, turning into a teenager and that was my you know responsibility is to to watch her but um plus my my poor little my poor sister joanna was when she was a baby and a toddler was a little bit of a brat so there was there was that on top of it and now she's like the sweetest person i've ever met but <laughs> when she was a little kid she was not <laughs> um and then i would say a couple years after she was born maybe closer to like three years uh, my mom started having issues with uh, um, grasping, like I remember she could, was having trouble grasping her makeup brushes to put her makeup on, and she thought that was really weird. And then she was sort of um, like, I have the clumsy gene and I can trip over air, but she was not like that. And so for her to sort of just fall out of nowhere, um, her appendages were like, she was struggling to have control, you know, over um, tripping and just walking and grasping things. So, uh, she went through series, a series of doctor's appointments, a whole bunch of series of misdiagnoses. And eventually after probably a year, uh, and I want to say maybe more like a year and a half, she ended up at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, New York. And that's where, and at first they thought she got misdiagnosed again, and they thought she had Epstein-Barr virus. Um, for what, at one point they sh thought she had Lyme's disease because we lived in Michigan, you know, there were a lot of deer uh, up there. So they thought that that a deer tick, you know, could have been a uh, culprit. And then uh, finally she was uh, diagnosed uh, with ALS, which is another, uh, the long term is amy amyotrophic lateral sclerosis it's part of the uh, neurological disorders um, that is ultimately fatal, you know, and still, let's see, she, she passed in uh, 1992. So all these years later still um, don't have the cure and don't have the exact cause made a lot of pro They've made a lot of progress, but um, they don't, they still don't know a whole lot about it. <laughs> but she, when she was diagnosed, they said, you should probably get your affairs in order. So finally, when she was diagnosed, this started when I was like 13 and a half, 
um, I would say I was 15 by the time she was get, had her diagnosis, but she was slowly progressively getting worse. And so I took over sort of the cooking responsibility, the, you know, the taking care of my sister, um, you know, plus I babysat as a job. You know, I still cut lawns when I was 12 and 13 as, as a job. I was, you know, helping to bring in the money. And then, um, you know, I cooked and cleaned. And by the time I finally had my driver's license, you know, I was taking my mom to like all her appointments and all of that stuff. And so, and, and, and by then I was also, I was only able to do one sport. And so I was a, I ran track and I did, I did that from like the sixth grade all the way up through that in my high school. But when, uh, let's see, so she's diagnosed officially probably when I was 15 and they said, you probably should get your affairs in order. This is a very fate, you know, it's fatal and it's usually quick. And so they gave her like a year and a half to live. So we packed up and moved across the country down to Jacksonville, Florida, mm. because my, um, her parents and her four brothers lived in Jacksonville. And so if, if she was only going to have a certain amount of time to live, she wanted to a be near her, her immediate family and B we probably could, I'm sure we needed the help, you know, to help take care of her and do things that maybe I, you know, I couldn't do when I was in school and those sort of things. So we moved to Jacksonville and, you know, I don't know if you've ever you know, I don't know that you've had to, you know, sort of be ripped from your everything you've known in terms of, you know, friends I grew up with and went to school with since kindergarten. And, uh, you know, those, that's all I knew is that small town between South Bend and Grand Rapids. And so not only was I leaving that, I was leaving my school. I was leaving being close to my other part of the family on my dad's side um, and all my cousins and stuff. So I moved as a rising sophomore I guess and so I went to you know I finished or maybe it was maybe it was actually in the middle of our year and so I finished my 10th grade year there and you know went through high school and my mom actually progressed slower I think she had an extreme will to live <laughs> you know uh, she really wanted to see me graduate and to be there as long as she could for my younger sibling as well and she was super young so she was 33 when she was di diagnosed. Wow. Um, yeah. And so she, for her, you know, it's like, well, I haven't lived yet. I've only lived a tiny bit, you know, and I'm not ready to go. So I think that her sheer will helped her um, live beyond what they thought, you know, they diagnosed her for. And she she actually lived five years. And uh, so she passed when I was 20. F five years from the diagnosis. From the diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, you you were only twenty. Your sister was only eight. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like your teenage years were mostly like being an adult who had a lot more responsibility than than most twenty five year olds have. That's right. But I was juggling a lot, and I honestly know that that's how it shaped me into who I am today. I have a fairly high. I don't always react appropriately, but I have a fairly high tolerance for stress, you know, uh, and thing I can handle many, many things that come at me. And so it's probably why I think I'm, I'm good at my job. Um, you know, it's, a, and it's a blessing and a curse, right? It really is. Yeah. But I, I tell you, I've, 
known so many people in my life who have made a point to say that, that to me. Like, I don't know how you, I, I guess I just don't think that things are that stressful. So maybe I have a different view because I remember what stress was really like, you know, as a child uh, and having that sort of immense responsibility and also knowing that your parent was ultimately going to pass. Um, I don't know. I just, to me, that part was probably a blessing for my future life, you know, and how I, uh, what lens I used uh, to, to decipher whether things are so stressful, I can't, you know, function or not, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you mentioned, I, I talking about your mom um, and what your teenage years were like, I, it's impossible for me to segue to, to any other topic smoothly. Um, and so that was my awkward attempt at doing that. You mentioned track. What yeah. kind of track events are we talking about? So <laughs> you wouldn't know it now by looking at me, but I used I, I don't to know be. What you're ta- I don't know what you're talking about. Liz. <laughs> I used to be a sprinter and a hurdler. And so I ran the 110 and the 440 hurdles. And so I ran short and long distance hurdles. I ran in relays. So the 880 uh, relay on uh, the mile, um, the lo- you know, the little bit longer one. And I also did the four, 440 relay um, when they needed me to, to participate. So I was um, in Jacksonville, Florida. And, you know, when I was in junior high and I was probably... I don't know if I was one of the fastest, but I think I was just driven to try to do something that I felt like it meant something. And so like breaking records, those sorts of things, I was always striving to do that. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I was not, it's not like I grew up with a family of runners or anything. I never ran, you know, I, I don't like to run now as, <laughs> as an adult either, but that was a different kind of running. It was, a uh, you know, to, to hopefully to win a race. So it was competitive. Um, it was always a challenge for me to get better and better and sort of, um, understand my, my stride and my body enough to be able to get over all of those hurdles in quick fashion without knocking them over, you know, worse hurting myself, you know, severely. Um, I was sort of afraid of the hurdles. And so I had this, like, you know, because when you, as you're running up on them and you have to lift the right leg, you have to have all the steps down. So I think it's, it's not as easy as you know, it, they make it look on TV when you watch the Olympics and they're just gliding over those hurdles. Well, they're, they're gliding. And I imagine it's, it's comes from a lot of practice and from a physiological perspective, they were just born to run hurdles. That's right. But yeah, so I did that. I, I think we had the opportunity to join, you know, a sport at, in my um, elementary sixth grade. And back then it wasn't part of the junior high. So I did, I started then and I just really loved it. And so I tried like long jump. I tried all the events and track. Um, I didn't like that one as much. And I probably couldn't jump very far, even though I was tall uh, for my age. And then uh, I tried the the pole vault. (laughs) I just never could figure that out. Um, So I just, I guess I landed on the the sprint and um, the hurdles. And I did that all the way up through my senior year. And um, I thought I would, I went, I was invited to the, we went to the Bob Hayes Invitational. Bob Hayes was a big, you know, name, runner name down in Florida. And it was a huge invitational and that could have probably solidified maybe any opportunity for college 
you know, for uh, getting on a, getting some sort of scholarship, but I hurt myself. I mm. sort of had this, um, the biggest fear that I had was all about falling and like injuring myself to where I couldn't, you know, run. And uh, I did that. And at the very end, I had to be carried off the track because I, I, I mean, I fractured my foot, you know, and so you kind of need your feet <laughs> to, to be running over those hurdles. Uh, go ahead. Bring Alina in. Let's see Alina. It's got to be Alina, right? You can Sorry. That's okay. Does Alina want to be on camera? No. <laughs> she's, she's, it's, she's going to bed. Uh, <laughs> does she have any idea what you're doing right now? Yeah, I told her that I was talking to, to uh, doing a podcast and talking and to you. You, and you told her it was with me, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. She was like, oh, that's really cool. Wait, so what kind of interview? You know, what do you, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, because I, I said, you know, like an interview on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what I call this, but yeah, it's just two people talking. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, so I, I hurt myself and then I was really toward, um, it was the rest of my season was done. And so the problem was for me, you know, I had this thought that I was going to go off to college and have, um, you know, be on a scholarship and be able to get, get to college that way because my parents really didn't have the a ton of money and I would work. And, you know, I had this sort of in my head, but I think the, uh, just the responsibilities were just, you know, weighing down or overwhelming for me. And the, the closer that we got to uh, my mother passing, it was like they had a need for me to be there and help her with her. You know, she needed help with everything. So bathing, uh, her physical therapy, um, so I did all of that, you know, her, all the, the not so fun stuff about, a, a you know, someone being ill. So I had all those responsibilities and I think, um, you know, I was sort of trying to escape uh, my life at that point and uh, met like my, at the time it was my boyfriend and I ended up getting married at a super young age. So my whole, the trajectory, you know, of what I had thought I was going to do shifted, but I think I've always been fairly good at, you know, pivoting and then just figuring out how to make the best of what situation I was in. So I did not run track in college. <laughs> well, it, super young age. How, how old were you when you got married? I 18. Yeah, that's that's looking back at it. That's super, super young. Yeah. And I don't advise it. I mean, there are lots of people who are high school sweethearts that marry and are, you know, married 50 years later. And I think that's amazing. Uh, but, you know, at 18, you really don't know who you are or who you want to really be. Not not every, I didn't, you know, I thought I did, but I, I obviously didn't. I hadn't come into my own yet. So that was probably, but again, another, you know, life experience that really shapes who you are, you know, uh, you know, as an older, as an adult. So most 18 year olds are looking to get into, the workforce, which I imagine you, you did, which we can come back to, uh, or the thing about going to college and you got married and you have, you're basically one of the primary caregivers for your mom. So yeah. Yeah, college, college right away was not in the cards for you. Well, I decided to go to night school to go to college at, in the evening. And okay. I was, you know, I went to the local community college cause they offered evening classes. 
And back then I thought I wanted to be an IT programmer, if you can imagine that. <laughs> I was fascinated I by that. technology. So, and I always have been a, a little bit of a tech geek, but really? um, I thought I could code. And back then it was like Fortran and, you know, other languages. And then I realized you have to be good at math and you also don't really, um, you know, I didn't know, again, I wasn't coming into my own yet. I didn't know that people was where my passion was going to be. And, you know, as I started taking these programming classes, I was like, well, where, where's the people? You're just kind of sitting behind a desk by yourself writing code. And I can't figure this out. This is the wrong career. I didn't have any guidance counselor telling me what I should be doing. <laughs> but I was lucky. So I worked full time. You know, I was a wife and I was, you know, a homemaker with just the two of us and then um, took care of my mom and uh, my sister, you know, made sure that she was safe and okay. Um, but then, you know, I was able to, I was, I was hired by a temp agency right out of college or right out of high school, you know, like three months out of high school. And I went to work for a big corporation, you know, for AT&T at the time. And uh, it was AT&T, American Trans Tech. And uh, it was a divestiture company from Belt, from the big, you know, Ma Bell companies. And most of the people there had come down from New Jersey and basically started this, you know, this office. But I worked in their benefits department and, and more specifically their employee stock option, uh, their ESOP department. And I had no idea what I was doing. But as time went on, I learned to, that I loved, you know, dealing with, benefits and learning about them and helping people. And so that sort of, I guess I kind of fell into doing HR work at an early, early stage of my career. And, and you liked every bit of it, every bit of the HR experience? I mean, I did. Yeah. And so benefits and, and uh, stock plans and that sort of thing grew into this broad love of all things, human resources. That's right. And then I had some great, great mentors that um, brought me along and helped me and uh, made sure that I was taking, you know, the right courses. And eventually I, you know, shifted the type of courses I was taking. Um, and then just with my, my job opportunities, I had an opportunity in almost every company to travel around the U.S. And so that's great for a 20-something year old that, you know, has no responsibilities at that point. I was, yeah, oh, let's, let's back up for a second because I got divorced at 21. <laughs> and so, there's a key fact. And so then I was, you know, sort of rising star in the company and, you know, in, in my field and uh, traveling and just learning about people. And, you know, I had the opportunity to live in Denver and Chicago and, um, you know, other places. And so I just um, like soaked it all in and just loved every bit of it. And, you know, being around people and helping people. And um, I guess I was good at dealing with people's problems because you do that in HR. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're part counselor, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the favorite place you lived? Oh, goodness. You know, I'm, I'm a beach lover. So I, I'm pretty partial to warmer climates and, and beach, beach life. But I really love living in Denver. Um, gosh, I love living in Chicago, too. So it's kind of hard to say, but they're for different reasons. I, I am a, attracted to the water. Uh, it's my happy place. But in Denver, which there's not a lot of water, 
the, I was, you know, I grew up a skier, as I said before, and outside and outdoor life. And so uh, I took advantage, full advantage of what that city had to offer. I mean, the hiking, the skiing, the, there was a great nightlife. They had, um, you know, the Rockies, uh, you know, the baseball team, and as well as they have mountains and they had um, the Broncos, you know, and I think when I moved there, they were getting ready for their three-peat, you know, and so it was. It was you were there in the late 90s. Yeah. 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 98, 99. Yeah. 2000. So um, it was such an exciting time to be there. And there was just so much to do. Uh, Red Rocks, you know, all the concerts, music outside. It was just such a beautiful place. It's a pretty, my impression, I've never really spent any time in uh, Colorado. My impression is it's a pretty laid back kind of place too. Very laid back. The people were unbelievably friendly everywhere I went. It was just, uh, just not, a, it didn't feel like there was a lot of stress, you know, uh, in the people that lived around there and they just love, everybody loved, if you live there, you love the outdoors. You, you probably don't live there otherwise, <laughs> you know, cause you're, you're taking full advantage. How many different cities have you lived in since you were divorced? Uh, I lived in South Bend again. I've lived in Jacksonville off and on three times. So I've moved back there three times <laughs> and uh, only moved away, you know, basically because of my job. And the final time I moved away from Jacksonville in, um, I guess it was early 09 was uh, after my daughter was born. And uh, for me to to be closer to family, uh, so it. I moved back to South Bend. So I lived, you know, I don't since I was divorced, probably six different cities. Okay, yeah. that's a lot. I've I've really lived in like one place most of my life. Yeah, yeah, and that's how most of my family is. You know, I think that, um, yeah, I have family members who have never, I mean, they've traveled outside of this of South Bend because other various work or. Um, you know, I have a lot of big bowlers in our family. So a lot of bowling tournaments and that kind of thing. And, you know, golfers and that they've left the city, you know, for those reasons, but never spent any good bit of time outside of South Bend. And so some of them, you know, I don't think can imagine like living so far from family, but I always have, I've always lived far from family and just visited. And so I, it's just normal to me. Yeah, there's something about uh, travel and getting uh, a diverse set of experiences that you would never get if you just stayed within 30 miles of where you where you were born or grew up. Yeah, and I have a lot of differences between myself and my family um, just because of those experiences and just the, you know, just the adventure of it all and the diversity of living in different kinds of cities is... Uh, um, things that it has to offer. You know, I'm a big foodie. I always have uh, loved different styles of food, and that's not something that you know the bulk of my family um, maybe appreciates because you know we're a meat and potatoes uh, people. <laughs> so you know, grow, growing in the Midwest is what you eat. What, what's what's typical fare in uh, the Midwest? You in know, South? sausage and potatoes, or pot roast and potatoes, or you know, steak for lunch. Uh, you know, ribeye steak on the grill. My mom makes the best ribeye steaks. Um, but what's funny is, you know, that's normal, like fair for everyday eating. And when I lived in Florida, you know, I ate, a, and I'm a, like I said, I'm a foodie, but I almost always ate mostly seafood, you know, mm. because it's literally caught down the street. 
you know, and, it, you know, so the restaurants always had the freshest seafood. And when my, when I was pregnant with my daughter, my parents came down about three weeks early and stayed with me and we were eating and I was still going to work up until a week before I had Alina. So my daughter, um, and so my mom was there and my best, one of my best girlfriends and her husband lived next door. You're, you're, um, saying, you're saying mom, you're technically my your stepmom. stepmom but yeah, yeah my, technically my stepmom. I've, you know, I've called her mom for many, many, many years. And I, uh, she's always, we've always been very, very close, even when my biological mother was alive. So when my uh, mom was down visiting with, um, to be there for my, uh, the birth of my daughter, I was at work and she was sort of, you know, bored and my dad was golfing. And so she would hang out with my, my girlfriend down there and offer to make, you know, lunch. So they would go for a walk on the beach and get some exercise. And she would say, you know, do you want a hamburger or do you want a steak, you know, for lunch? And my friends, you know, are used to eat protein bars and Cheez-Its, you know, for, for lunch. And that, <laughs> and, and they were like a steak for lunch. What are you talking about? It's, it's Tuesday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. My power just, I've been having a, an interesting day with some power blips. I don't know what's causing it, but it's going to come back on in a moment. So yeah. uh, you're, you're still connected with me. So we're, we're good. I'm still connected. So it's super strange. Um, anyway. So yeah, it was just, that's funny. The, so that is a common fare for everyday eating is red meat upon more red meat. <laughs> <laughs> and I as mean, a vegetable, you get a potato of some sort <laughs> in some fashion. And were there any, any green vegetables in play? No, no. See, uh, okay. no. And my daughter jokes because she's a big, she's a pretty, got a pretty nice palate as well um, and loves all kinds of foods. But her favorites are Brussels sprouts, broccoli, green beans. Those are her probably go-to vegetables. And, you know, my, my family believes corn is the vegetable. And so it's like potatoes, corn, <laughs> some sort lot, of bread. <laughs> lot, lots of starch and carbs. You really can't do the keto diet in this kind of family. But <laughs> um, so, yeah, she often jokes and she's like, you know, where are the green beans? Like, can we have a green vegetable with this meal? <laughs> Just not a thing. Yeah. All right. So uh, Alina, when she, and we're going to come back and talk more about Alina. But when she's because we're talking about living in various places, when yeah. she's out on her own at some point and you can go work and or live where you want. Where, where do you end up? So I think my next move is back to Florida, but I'd love to live on the other coast on the Gulf side. So mm -hmm. I had told my parents a few years back that that was going to be my plan. If I, at the point that I'm ready to retire or sooner, you know, depending on what the situation was, that I wanted to be in the Tampa, Bradenton, Sarasota area. I think it's beautiful. I have a ton of friends there. Um, you know, my friends are spread out all over Florida and, you know, it'd be a great place to retire. And so my parents, my, my, my mom specifically jumped on the opportunity to take a look at where she could have a winter place uh, down in that area, knowing that eventually I would, you know, uh, come back to the, to the area. So they bought, um, took advantage of the market a couple years ago now and, you know, bought a condo down in um, Terra Golf Course down there in Bradenton. Beautiful. The whole area is just so beautiful. And they're both like living their best, you know, lives uh, wintering down in Florida and golfing every day uh, while they're down there. 
Oh, so they still so, went through that winter there and summer back in uh, Indiana. That's right in the South Bend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my my mom, you know, can't be away away that long from the grandbabies, wow. so, from the grandkids, and so that's it's hard enough. Although she's, you know, she loves it, and um, my dad is a big time golfer, so he, you know, he's definitely living his best uh, retirement and golfing every day. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. So that's probably the area that I um, will end up back in at some point. Yeah, it's funny. My my wife has always said she wants to keep going south. And I said, that's fine. But our, we have, have two kids in high school. Uh, she said, yeah, once we're ready to move somewhere else, we're going to uh, to Florida. And I said, that's fine. Uh, I'd also like to explore Texas. She goes, no, no, Florida. And so we're going to end up in Florida somewhere. And I said, well, you know, my favorite football team is the Buccaneers. So that's right. I know that, yeah. If we went to Tampa. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to do. It's a, it's a, and there's beaches everywhere. And so you don't have to necessarily be at the beach, um, you know, but you, but you can still be close to the beach. Uh, you know, my parents are 30 minutes from Clearwater beach. And so, um, you know, I, I think that it's a great uh, Metro area to be in uh, long term. There's sports, there's food, there's, you know, beach. It's all, all there in the warm climate you know, yeah and it, it doesn't snow and it does not snow like it did here this last weekend in atlanta <laughs> so. right which when that happens in atlanta everything stops right yeah i was actually um at about my daughter's volleyball tournament it was a three-day qualifying tournament so we really didn't see the light of day because i was you know i wanted to get ahead of any potential weather and slowdowns in atlanta and i just booked the hotel you know that was attached to the uh, convention center so that we just didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, because Snowmageddon had happened back in, uh, I guess, the winter of 1415. 14, yes, because it was right the year before I moved there. Yeah, I heard all about it. Yeah, people were stuck on the interstates there, 85 and 75 and probably 20 for okay. like more than 24 hours. Yeah, it's very, I mean, some of the stories are very heartbreaking and sad, um, but there was a lot of um, good you know, not good fortune, but goodwill. I think that, you know, people that were complete strangers, um, you know, offered help and offered for people to stay in their homes. And I've heard, I've heard all kinds of stories from people that were, who's either whose spouses or family, you know, were out on that highway stuck and uh, really couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. Even by foot, you know, if you're just in shoes, like people don't wear boots here. <laughs> so you, it's not like you're prepared for cold weather. Yeah, some of some people were probably wearing flip flops stuck in there. Yeah, cars. maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That that yeah, actually so it's still a little too cold for me here. This is this is not uh, my yeah. ideal uh, climate. It's it's elevated there, right? The elevation is yeah. fifteen hundred feet above sea level, something like that. There, um, and and you're not far from the North Georgia mountains. That's right. right? Yeah, That's that, right. that that Snowmageddon thing that happened in Atlanta back in 2015, I think. Um, that happened here uh, in Northern Virginia. Same thing. People were stuck for more than 24 hours and, and literally you just couldn't move and you couldn't get uh, the equipment to the site to clean up the original accident that bottled everything up. It's, it was right. Not, yeah. It, it, there was a lot of um, guidance to stay off the road if you didn't have to be out, even right. though it wasn't as bad as what you know originally predicted. It still was like, it's safer to just not go anywhere. And it was the weekend. So hopefully that helped people. But uh, you know, it's, it was better just to stay off the road because people don't know how to drive here in any kind of 
uh, adverse weather conditions, including a few sprinkles of rain. <laughs> you know, well, rain, rain messes up Atlanta traffic. It's unbelievable. <laughs> So imagine what ice and snow does. <laughs> I mean, and we're not talking about a driving rain that is causing like hydroplaning or right. it's just, it's just raining. Yeah. When I the walk out in the morning snow. and see if the, if it looks like, you know, how you can tell the sky, it's like, oh, it's going to rain today. You know, or if you know it's coming, uh, I just cringe because I'm like, this is, this morning commute is going to be rough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, you know, let's everybody's start. a transplant. So they all have driving, you know, abilities from other towns and everyone's super ag aggressive especially sort of i know we're not post covid but post the people staying at home as much um it's people have road rage like i've never seen uh in atlanta <laughs> yeah but there, there's just enough people from atlanta that aren't great drivers that don't that, that might be true <laughs> also well, I, i've had people one in the interstate where the, the speed limit's 70 going through downtown Atlanta, just stop. And there's nothing in yeah. front of them. They just stop. Doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Alina. I think you were telling me before we started recording, she uh, turned 13 a couple of months ago. Tell, tell me the story of Alina. <laughs> sure. Um, well, let's see. I was always, I thought when I was young, really young, that I always wanted to be a young mom. Like I had two young moms, a mom and my stepmom, both young, super, you know, so that meant that they were super fun. They did, they rode all the roller coasters with us as kids. They, you know, did all the fun things. Um, and I remember my biological mom was my, uh, what did they call it? Like a, my parent room mom or room parent or something, whatever they used to call it back then. Yep. And so she was always the one who she ran my bluebirds and my brownies and my Girl Scout troop. She always did all that fun stuff. So I was like, oh, I have got to be a young mom um, because that's just what it takes. You know, I had two amazing young moms. So as I got older and realized, you know, yeah, I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I would make a good mom, but being a young mom might not be in the cards because as time was going on, <laughs> you know, I was already divorced and wasn't really, you know, not, a, not necessarily prospect for, for um, having a baby and, and being remarried. So I thought, okay, well, you know, it's just not going to happen. I'm certainly not going to be a young mom. And as more time went on, I thought, well, maybe I'm not going to have the opportunity at all. And, you know, we'll have to, like cross that bridge when I get to it, but I had to start thinking longer term about what happens if I don't ever have a baby. Um, maybe I need to be thinking about adoption or, you know, some alternative. Um, and so I, you know, got to be in my upper thirties and uh, it, you know, long story short, I ended up pregnant <laughs> and I was honestly thrilled, scared and thrilled all at the same time because I was starting to get worried that maybe I wouldn't, you know, have the opportunity uh, to be a mom. And so when I learned I was going to be one, I was, you know, freaked out, scared, all the things that a lot of women go through, even though it's something you've been dreaming of, you know, for, for many years. And so I was just super excited and um, was probably the healthiest I've been in years and years and years. Uh, when I was pregnant with her. So I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to eat so healthy. And I did, I mean, I was, 
great. The only thing I couldn't help um, eating because of cravings was jalapenos. And so it's probably a terrible thing to eat for the for a baby. <laughs> but I went through my entire pregnancy eating something with jalapenos almost every day, even though it was health, I was mostly eating healthy. <laughs> what, what was the craziest thing you combined with jalapenos while you were pregnant? Uh, fruit. <laughs> Super that's, weird and disgusting. It sounds awful to me now. Yes. Name, but name, I was name like, the fruit. Name the oh, fruit. Watermelon. I would have watermelon with sliced jalapenos all the time. You might as well was, throw mayonnaise on top of that. To it's make it so gross, right? Oh, I know. Right. It, it, I don't know. And to this day, she's not, she doesn't have a spicy palate. Although, um, like many kids, she eats those taki chips that are like mm -hmm. a spicy uh, Mexican chip that has spicy powder on it. And so she'll eat it. A whole bag of those if I let her. <laughs> so, right, and now uh, she's anyway. A, she's a go ahead. So she was a, um, you know, I, you know, she was fully baked for like forty weeks, and I was actually I think a week late after that. And so um, when my parents, like I had said earlier, came down to stay with me for a few weeks for for her to be born and to help me out, we had one last sort of. Like the week leading into her her birth, I was trying to do everything I could. I was, I'm like, let's go to Ruth's Chris for dinner. I can't imagine the next time I'm going to get out for a nice dinner. You know, I'm going to have a glass of wine. They say that helps induce your labor. You know, I was going through all the, whatever the myths were and the, the uh, things that people said, you know, you needed to do to be able to get the labor going. And so we were going to have one final sort of uh, happy hour at a friend's house. And I, my parents were gonna go and everyone was gonna get together and I'm like I won't be seeing like my friends in this capacity for for some time so I was supposed to make a an appetizer for for this you know get together at a friend's house and I had this terrible headache that I couldn't shake for about two days and so my mom was like you probably need to get like go to the doctor you you know I don't I mean normally if you weren't pregnant I wouldn't probably think anything of it but just to be safe and so I did I remember it was a Friday, uh, Friday, yeah, Friday afternoon, and I went there, and I hadn't even like, you know, I was you know cleaning and doing stuff around the house, so I hadn't even gotten ready or anything. And the lady said, the nurse said, um, "Go ahead and get, you know, settled in because you're you're going to be having a baby tonight or you're soon." And I was like, "Well, but I have to. I have a." appetizer sitting on a counter I'm supposed to be making for a party tonight you know and it wasn't like I could I, I guess my brain wouldn't let it sink in that I was not going back home and I was actually going to have a baby so <clears throat> I uh, had a pretty easy and short overall labor and delivery and uh, she was born the next morning at 525 in the morning healthy and happy did it, was the headache a signal that it was time for yeah so it was a blood pressure issue for wow. me and uh it was a signal and so they didn't want to take the chance of the baby's blood pressure dropping and so she was like you know get get comfortable you know and all i could think of was what i have to make that appetizer i got a party to go to because <laughs> it was going to be the last one for a while right yeah it was yeah. and so my so then i i remember texting you know in a group text about okay so I guess I'm staying here can someone bring me my bag you know that I had pre-packed and everything and um 
you guys go ahead and go to the go to the happy hour, you know, at our friends because the lady said it could be ours. You know, I just I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like the nurse is saying this could be ours. So go have your party. I'll keep you posted. You know, and that's just you know, I've always been sort of on my own and uh very independent <laughs> in a lot of ways. And so I didn't think anything of it where my friends were like, don't you want us to come there? Like, you know, this back when you could be in the hospital with your friends that were having our family that were having a baby. I said, just go do the party. I'll keep you, you know, posted. I'm sure I can text you later. <laughs> and so I did uh, around 10 o'clock, around 930, I guess that night, I had texted my parents and the group and said, look, <clears throat> supposedly it's going to be, you know, sometime between now and tomorrow you know, maybe my parents should come up here. And um, the whole gang came to the hospital. This is a, now, remember, this is a beach hospital. It's not like a big city hospital. And they let them all come in. But the problem was they had been drinking and mm. they decided to bring their miniatures. <laughs> and so they were, uh, my buddies were, my buddy, Jeff, I'll never forget. I have pictures of him like peeking under the sheet at the bottom of the sheet at the bottom of the bed and holding his, you know, his miniature bottle of vodka up and stealing my ice chips so he could make a cocktail. <laughs> so by, by, by the way, what you're describing is what the rest of the, the country thinks of Florida. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there are, and these friends are all transplants also into Florida. Like these are all Ohio, mostly Ohio people. Yeah. <laughs> and um but yeah he so yes they were they had been had a few cocktails and so they were having fun and being super loud and so finally the nurse was like y'all are gonna have to pipe down or get out like other people are in here trying to have a baby and you guys are so loud in this room <laughs> so they were all sad but uh it's very par for the course <laughs> so. they, they can turn almost anything into a good time that's right. That's right. <laughs> Dealing my well, ice chips. <laughs> what's uh, what's Alina up to these days? So she is a uh, volleyball player, and so she is full fully in with both feet. And so I am that mom who drives. You know, she's in travel volleyball, club volleyball, plays for school too. So I'm the the mom that's driving all over this crazy city and all over the region, you know, and traveling to different uh, places to cheer her on and watch her. I love watching her um, and I love watching her progression and just getting better and better every year. And uh, she's um, five, seven, so mm. she's getting pretty tall for her age. And hopefully, you know, we both hope she continues to grow because that only bodes well for you if you are a volleyball player. <laughs> um, so that's, that's, the bulk of, I mean, that takes a, a ton of time, you know, it's both of, both of our time, you know, practice three or four days a week, extra training tournaments. So yeah. we're fully on, but we, we both love it. So. She's, uh, she's been, well, she's your daughter and she's been your, your best bud uh, for the last 13 years, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm a single mom, you know, just always been the two of us. And so uh, I, always believed and it's true with us too that you know a, a single parent generally has a very unique relationship you know it's their only child and there's not another parent so they're you know the two of you sort of um, build this bond that's probably very different from uh, you know parents that have multiple children 
you know, so I've, it's been very special. She's, um, you know, super, super sweetheart, you know, biggest heart on a planet, uh, a rule follower, you know, right now. Let's <laughs> hope so that stays. Yeah, well, yeah, so she just became a teenager. Let's, let's she did become it. a teenager, but <clears throat> she is afraid of me, I think. And so, you know, I, I, I try to maintain um, a, a very unique relationship, but there's also definitely a delineation that I'm not your best friend. Um, I'm your parent and I'm always going to be saying the things I need to say to you and, you know, teaching you lessons and looking out for you and just know that my, if, you know, anything ever happens, my mama bear claws will be fully out and I will, I got your back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're friends, but there are times where you have to be mom. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Can you, can you name uh, the other 25 cousins out of the 26 where you're the oldest? Am I putting you on the spot? Oh, geez. Yes. You're putting are, me on the spot. Are they, are they going to listen to this? You might be. You said, <laughs> am I going to tell my family? <laughs> All right, I won't put you've been to the spot, now you're off the spot. Yeah, because I'm I'm having my bourbon. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's an it's an unfair question. You you are drinking a little bourbon. And maybe that's why I asked the question, because I'm also drinking a little bourbon. Uh, all right, I, so, if I had to, I could name them, yeah. <laughs> Liz, uh, do you want to tell the story of Tom Greco and the uh <laughs> the tortilla chips? I I don't think I've ever heard this from your perspective. I always tell it from my perspective. <laughs> I I have to think about that for a second to remember well, the chain of events. Well, while you think about it, uh, Gene Burke says hi. Ah, hello, Gene Burke. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he is doing tremendous. <laughs> he still <laughs> to says use his, To use his words. <laughs> he still says it. Where, where were we? We were at the Mexican place. I don't know what part of town we were in. We're like a mile from my hotel. Oh yeah, in La Feria. Yes. I don't know if I remember all the context. I, I, do you want me to start and then yeah, you take please it? do, and then I'll chime in. I just know it's already making me laugh. Yeah, it, well, because it, it's funny. Um, so Tom Greco, which he was episode uh, Silent Rob could correct me here, episode four or five on this podcast. Yeah, he, he's a very funny dude. One of the reasons he's funny is he's. I don't know. He, he's like five two and weighs like two hundred and seventy pounds. Um, I, I affectionately refer to him as a human bowling ball. Well, Tom, we're, we're sitting down to eat, and I'm next to—I can't remember the guy I was next to—but Tom was directly across from me in the booth, and you were next to Tom. Yeah. And so you're diagonally off to my right. Tom is uh, eating the the chips, the tortilla chips, like he's being with a, paid, with a fury. Like he's being paid a dollar per chip eaten, kind of. Thing. <laughs> Passion. <laughs> he, he's got both hands going. He he is he's become a, a tortilla chip eating machine. Yeah. And he's not talking because he's eating, and the rest of us are having a, a, a conversation about whatever. And then I realized that Tom has had part of a chip stuck in his airway. And I I know most most humans. You want to take it over from here? Just keep going. You're the best storyteller. So, Tom, Tom is in slight distress. I, I realize that the average human can probably last a couple of minutes without being able to breathe. So I'm going to let this play out. Instead of reacting right away, I'm, I'm just going to see what happens for the first few seconds. I obviously don't want my buddy to, to die uh, or be in harm's way in any, any real way. But I, I, 
it probably felt like 20 seconds, but it was probably more like five or six seconds. And I don't know if you and the, the other person realized what was going on at that moment. Oh, but at some point before I said the next thing, you realized he was he was struggling. Right. And, you, you know, and I think you told me later you were thinking about pushing him out of the booth and giving the homework because you're looking at me like, what is Paul's problem? Why is he not yeah. moving? He's the closest <laughs> to being able to get to Tom easily. Why is he not moving right now? And as you're, I think, thinking I'm the biggest jerk in the world, I look at Tom and I said, Tom, would it help if I slapped you? <laughs> and then, then you looked at me with this, the biggest, like, serious motherly face. You're like, that won't help. That's not help. <laughs> and, and Tom laughs at, at this exchange, and that's what dislodged the, the chip. <laughs> well, oh, one, of my, one of my favorite stories. Oh man! <laughs> you know, I what a good laugh, and I mean, it, and, and I'm luckily because he wasn't like actually he didn't choke to death. I, I think he was his airway was only partially obstructed. At least that's what I'm going to tell the world. Yeah, that's right. We're, we want that on record that he yeah. was partially <laughs> obstructed and not actually choking. Oh us, us laughing about it, but uh, you know the the very cliche saying that laughter is the best medicine. I am a wholehearted believer of that. And I have been very fortunate to have a lot of good laughs with a lot of work colleagues and you included um, that just will for years allow me, you know, great, great memories. (laughs) I think you could take Tom, you, me, and a couple other folks from our former company together. And uh, we would be laughing most waking hours. I mean, oh. I'm still waiting on the the call for the the uh, reality show on the road. <laughs> so <laughs> one yeah, day we talk, when we're all retired, that. maybe we should do that. <laughs> if, if I had more guts, I would have done it years ago. I still don't have the guts. Uh, all right, Liz, here's a fun question. And you, you've listened to a few of our episodes. I don't know that you've listened to the ones where we, we say, hey, you're going to be a, a talk show host, whether it's daytime or, or night talk show. Okay. No, this one I haven't. So you've listened to some of the older ones. Yeah. Yeah. Where we asked the, do you want to be a comedian or, or join the military when you're 25 kind of thing? Yeah. But now our, our, our question is you're, you're a talk show host. It's your first night. You want your first night to be, or first day to be really big. You get to uh, invite three guests on one female guest, one male guest, one musical group or musical soloist. And if you want to add a fourth guest, uh, you can add a comedian if you want to, if comedy is your thing. Uh, they could be alive or dead. Like for this talk show, we can, we can bring people back. Uh, it can be for your entertainment. The world's entertainment it can be thought provoking. It can be whatever you want it to be. Who are your three or four guests? And they don't have to be celebrities, right? It could be anybody. It could be famous, not famous. Oh boy, I haven't heard this question, so I'm definitely not prepared. <laughs> well, it's meant, to, it's meant to be revealing, and I and I can uh, just talk while you think if you want to uh, give you a little more time. <laughs> um, so let's see. Let's start with a musical guest. I have, you know, I've always loved all genres of music, but I think one of my favorite artists growing up, and probably to this day still, is Stevie Wonder, and I've loved his music for many, many decades and would love to have him on on my show I guess not only to interview but playing in the playing you know throughout the show uh as he's your musical guest and you would you would talk to him as well yep 
Yeah, I think so. I think um, he's got a lot of uh, fascinating aspects to his life. Um, and has obviously overcome multiple challenges and been very successful. So there's there's probably, you know, uh, one guest. I would probably uh, invite my buddy, uh, Jeff Moore, who is probably one of my all-time favorite people. He's your forever bachelor that can get along with everyone he's ever met. Uh, he's a salesman, so he's a, a forever charmer and is just funny and can make any situation funny. This is the guy that, you know, stole my ice chips uh, to make a cocktail <laughs> Same at, guy. My bed, Same guy. at my bedside. And uh, no matter where I go with him, and we do a lot of travels as groups, you know, together, vacations and that kind of stuff, it's, it's always going to be a laugh. And so even though it would be my show, I would have this like feeling of a, he's a safety net that could help me if I was struggling on my first night of my talk show by <laughs> adding some crazily inappropriate comment <laughs> or question. You're, you're being very practical. I like it. Uh, well, I want my show to be success. Sure. And he, he typically, you know, is a, like I said, a charmer and people always find him funny. So, you know, you gotta have, it's like surrounding yourself at work with the people that are smarter than you. Um, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Let's see my third guest, I guess. I don't, you know, I, this is going to be maybe shallow sounded like not, I don't know how, what the right adjective is, but I've never been like, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to meet this historic, this historic figure and ask questions or, uh, I'm not, I'm not a huge celebrity swooner. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. It can be literally anybody. But I think um, I think we're left with a female guest. So the guest should be female. Oh, female guest. Okay. Um. Unless Jeff was your comedian, Liz. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It would probably need. It would. I would probably want to have someone like. Um. Oh my gosh. Now I'm gonna embarrass myself by not knowing her name. Uh, like a female CEO, like the, um, gosh, I can't think of her name, the CEO of Spanx. Um, I don't know her name, but I know who you're oh talking about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, I literally had, I can't think of her name. My, my crack research staff will check it out. Yeah. So someone like her, where um, she, you know, just a super creative, inventive product that you talk about millions and millions of women need, um, and maybe men too. Um, it's, it is a super innovative product and she has had much success. And so someone like that, you know, a CEO of a company that sort of started with this idea. My, my, my crack research staff is saying Sarah Blakely. Sarah Blakely. Yes. I, yes. It was just escaped me completely. <laughs> but, and she um, seems like a, a good person too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just a, like a still down to earth and very successful and just you'd love to be able to, you know, interview her and have her on the show. Yeah, great person to be around, too, sounds like. So. Not really a fan of comedians, Liz? No, I love comedians. Who's your favorite comedian? Who would you have on as a comedian? <sighs> like clean, like PG, or does it matter? Well, whatever. I guess we're going late night if you're going to go not so clean. 
Yeah. Well, they were, they were going to ATO. So I'm kind of dorky. Like I like Ray Romano. Ray Romano's um, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I'd love to have him on my show. Oh, who wouldn't want to have Ray come over and, and uh, have dinner and, and just shoot the shit? Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. He's yeah. I was a, a huge fan it. of his series for many years, you know, um, and just, I've seen his stand up, So I think he's hilarious. No, I, I could listen to that guy talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I haven't met your friend Jeff, but uh, the rest of your guests I'm familiar with, and it sounds like a great show. <laughs> well, Liz, Liz uh, over the next few years, what does your life look like? Working, raising your daughter, and then hopefully she gets on to the, ne the next thing? Yeah, hopefully she, she gets on to college. So I am, um, I have for the last five years, years, probably four years, been obsessed with the tiny home movement. Mm. And my, I am in progress right now, building my tiny house on wheels. And are you, are you kidding me right now? Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, oh my been, gosh. We need to talk more, Liz. Yes, I know. My, my dream of putting my, you know, dream home in a 400 square, four to 500 square foot um, home that could be not to not towed by me, but towed to wherever I want to live. That is where my next venture is. I am looking to actually purchase land down in the Bradenton area, a little bit more inland, uh, Mayaka City kind of area near Bradenton, so that I could, I'm looking to, I have been scoping out land for uh, the last year and a half or two years to um, hopefully build a small tiny home community. Oh, you're going to build a community? Mm-hmm. And that is going to be my next chapter in life is having sort of running that and having it, um, having community and having like-minded people uh, be able to do both long-term and short-term uh, stays on my property. So you would, having, you, would, you would have static foundations and mobile tiny homes. Yeah. So I would build the infrastructure, you know, needed for, you know, my, my goal is between like a dozen and, a dozen to two dozen, you know, homes eventually. Uh, but it takes a lot of work to get the zoning and everything done. And so I've been doing, I can't tell you how many years of research, but that's my, my goal for my sort of next chapter post corporate life. What, what is it about tiny homes? Um, it's a smaller footprint. It's a time freedom. It allows for time freedom, uh, financial freedom. You know, if you, have your tiny home built and you pay cash for that. You don't have a mortgage anymore. Um, you know, and, and the tiny homes are built. I just don't need a giant home. And I don't, I'm as a single person, I don't enjoy maintaining everything you have to do, you know, taking four hours to cut your lawn. And, you know, a lot of people love doing that kind of stuff. I would rather put that time. Yeah. You know, in travel and visiting family and, deciding on a whim that we want to pick up and go, you know, somewhere for the, for a week or a weekend and, and not worry about, you know, okay, well, it's time to clean the, the gutters and, oh, I've got some huge problem in my home and I've, I've dealt with all of that. And I just love the idea and the notion of um, after decades of being sort of generationally someone that is a pack rat, you know, or collecting stuff, uh, the stuff is not what's important at all. And um, as long as you have the things that, you know, bring you the most joy, um, that's all you need. 
in your home. For me, it's, I love cooking. You know, I want to have a focal point in my house and I'm building it around the kitchen. And so I'm in the design phase still and uh, super excited. And my daughter's been on board the whole time. You know, it's something that we've uh, decided to do together. So, but yes. you're, are, are you thinking about moving to Florida soon? And I don't, I don't think soon is the word, but probably it could be in the next, you know, it could be before she's done with high school, but probably not. It'll probably be, but I am going to have that tiny house here in Atlanta. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're going to live in it while she's, while we're still here. Yeah. I think my, I have two issues with uh, a tiny home. Well, maybe three. I'm I'm a, I'm a big dude, uh, but I could probably make it work. I, uh, I don't think my wife would like being that close to me uh, as I'm snoring. <laughs> That's problem two. And problem three, I don't know that uh, tiny homes are conducive to uh, urinals. <laughs> you can do almost anything you want in your tiny home. Um, but here's the other piece of it. It, and this is why probably Florida will be, you know, a good, good place to live. It forces you to, right, because the space is smaller, the idea is to kind of force you to be outside with nature. And so rather than, you know, necessarily dealing with home maintenance, I would much rather spend that time developing a nice garden or having a pool, you know, like a community pool. And I'm, I'm a big fan of people and I like the community living, you know, where you share meals and you share, you know, life stories and you share fun times and those sorts of things. So, um, I, Liz, I think it's fantastic. I love your idea. Yeah. And so I think having that, A, is, you know, prudent financially because I want to have that long-term, you know, revenue or income coming in um, post-retirement and just to be able to enjoy enjoy it. Yeah, I, th I, think, uh, I think you're going to be a huge success doing that. I think it's great. Thanks. I... Um, I hope so. I think it can work as long as I can get, and maybe in the next five years, uh, the zoning will change and the, because the laws continue to change and Florida is a little bit more tiny friendly than like the state is, um, you know, than Georgia and some other states. Um, they're a lot more progressive um, with rewriting the code. It's just, they don't know what to do with it because if you can't make money off of it, it might be difficult to approve. <laughs> yeah. you know, they have to figure out how they, how the city makes money. Yeah. How, how they're going to tax 24 tiny home lots. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Liz, I, I appreciate you doing this. I, we tried to get together and we had this notion that you would be in Virginia at some point. We could do this in I person. Know. We can still do that. Uh, but I, I'm glad you were able to join tonight. I'm, I'm really enjoyed learning more about you. Some of what you talked about, we had talked about before, but a lot of what we talked about, I, I didn't know about you. So I'm, I'm glad we did this. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm honored to be on your show. And uh, I wish it and wish you much success. Thank you very much, Liz. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.